So this Christmas season, we've been kind of centering around one word. That's the word vintage. When I say the word vintage, I'm pretty sure that most of us, the first thing that pops into our mind is the word old, right? You think it's vintage, you think old. You might think retro, but when I say vintage, you're thinking, man, that's something that was way before my time. That's old, right? And there probably is a sense where that's true. It's vintage, it's old. But really, when you look up the word vintage, you see words like this. What do we mean when we say vintage? We mean words like timeless or classic, quality or or choice. If something is vintage, it's timeless. It's a classic thing. And so we've been thinking about vintage or classic timeless Christmas truths that are fleshed out from this this really familiar story that I'm sure that most of you could stand up here tonight and you could tell us the story, how it goes, the characters that that played a part, uh, the timeline of it all. You could tell us that. But so often in the familiarity of the story, it's easy to overlook what is really trying to be shown to us, what this is really about, and what God is trying to let us know about himself and who this man Jesus was. You see, I would say this statement. We knew that he would come. We knew that Jesus would come. It had been told for years. They were looking for a Messiah. They knew that Jesus was coming. But it was in how he came that really is telling more to the story. That's what's vintage. That's what's timeless. That's what's classic. God who orchestrated, put all the pieces in place for this to play out, for him to come into the world, is telling us something that we need to grab a hold of. It's classic. It's timeless. It's something that needs to uh, be real to us. And so for these three weeks before, tonight, before today, we've noticed things about the story. First week, we noticed that, um, you know, when, when he introduces himself in the book of Matthew to a Jewish people, a Jewish audience, they were big on where did you come from? Who was your daddy? You know, what part, of the, what, part, uh, what part of town did you grow up in, right? They were big into the genealogy things. And Jesus opens his own story with us by showing us where he came from. But we notice when we begin to, to read this that it's different than most of our genealogies. It's different than most of the family trees that we try to portray, right? We kind of skip the ones that we don't, anybody, we don't want anybody to know about. Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, here's Jesus in his genealogy. He's got women as a part of his genealogy. Women who, uh, honestly, at that point in, in civilization, they didn't count as much. Ah, they couldn't vote. They didn't have a voice. They were, they were um, a, a, a neglected and uh, they were an unfortunate part of their society was they didn't matter as much. Here's Jesus blowing that all away, communicating to us something that is so real. But we see that not only is there women in there, but we're talking about women like Rahab who was a prostitute, Tamar, who had a sordid past, Bathsheba, whose life story didn't go like um, uh, any of us would want our story to go. And then there's this woman named Ruth, 
a foreigner, an outsider, a part of a people that God had, ne- had said that those people should never enter into the sanctuary, his sanctuary because what they had done to his people. And yet in the middle of that, there's Ruth, the Moabite. And we begin to flesh that out and we realize God is communicating something to us that we need to really see and understand. Because all the cast of character in his genealogies are showing us exactly what Ruth shows us. That redemption, redemption is at the heart of Christmas. That's what this is about. It's redemption. It's taking that which is lost, that which is broken, fixing it, finding it, giving it a new story. That is what this is all about. That's the finish. That's the classic truth we need to know. We noticed the second week we looked at Mary and Joseph and we realized that, you know what, honestly, as God orchestrated this story and as he called them to be a part of it, he didn't make life easier for him. In fact, they, had to, they went through a lot to play the roles they did young and, and um, having to deal with, uh, you know, issues like a virgin birth. Uh, uh, that doesn't go well in society, right? And who believes that? And, and then all the hardships they faced as they got to Bethlehem and they had to run from Bethlehem to Egypt. And we just see that in Mary and Joseph, these ones that he chose, a young carpenter and a teenage girl, that God is calling us in all of the plans he has for our lives to trust him and be willing out of that trust to obey whatever he's calling us to do. And that central to the Christmas story is the obedience, the trust and obedience of Mary and Joseph. And that's telling us something, that just as they had a role and a place that God had for their lives, so he has a role and a design and a plan for our lives. And he calls us to trust him whatever that plan is, and then to walk and follow him in that plan. Last week we noticed with shepherds and wise men that that Jesus' birth always warrants a response. It always warrants a response. They are coming, rich, poor, high society, low society, whatever it is, it's obvious that he put this together, he appeared to shepherds, he put a star out there for wise men to communicate to us that when Jesus comes, there's always a response for us to have. And just as they responded then, he's still calling each of us to respond to him as he has come into this world through the person and of his Holy Spirit, inviting each one of us to know him. But today I wanna, I wanna just land on one word that I think is honestly the vintage word of the whole story, the classic, the timeless word of this whole story. Um, but I've been thinking about this and I, I, I kinda wanna communicate it this way. Um, there, is a, there is a tradition, a, a vintage um, activity that most of you probably participate in this year. In fact, I know a lot of you have because as I've went to the mailbox um, and opened the mail throughout the last few weeks, inevitably there's cards every day. And I open it up and I, I look and man, there is just these beautiful photographs of you guys with your families and um, you know, it's just, it's awesome what we can do now, isn't it? It just, it's, it's like, wow, that looks so good. That's perfect. Right? <laughs> but 
really, the real story behind that is, is a little something different, isn't it? For instance, for me, I, I look at this one. This one's from about five years ago, probably. Uh, Selah's not even in the picture. Um, there's Colby, he's only one. And, and man, that just looks, that looks great, doesn't it? I know I'm a little biased, but shake your heads, that looks great. <laughs> My kids look fabulous. I, I'm not sure where Keegan's looking, but um, man, we pulled that off right. But you know what the real story is? That was like two seconds we were able to capture that. <laughs> the rest of the time, it was a nightmare. In fact, I noticed in that picture, see the lights Kobe has right there? That's actually not supposed to be in the picture, but that's the only thing that would keep him still for a few moments, is we just slid some lights in front of him so he, he would at least stay still so we could get that picture, right? Uh, well, it hasn't changed. Look, this is just this summer or this spring. That's our family picture. It looks like everything went great, right? We're just like the, uh, the American family there, and we're smiling, and we're looking at the camera. Yeah, right. <laughs> talking, chasing a baby around, trying to get her to smile, to even look at the camera. I think half the time she was crying. Honestly. The photos we send, they, they look great and we get them to turn out, but most of the time we know what was behind it, right? It's messy, it's chaotic. Um, probably most of our photos, honestly, we should send one that looks like this. <laughs> Just to be honest. Yeah, joy to the world. And you know what? I, I think about the nativity scene and how we have... We've done an incredible job of, of creating awe with it. And it, don't get me wrong, it is, the, it is the most beautiful story. It is. But so often we think of a still and, and quiet night, and it was. But we think everything just was perfect, right? And honestly, it wasn't. You know, the world that this beautiful story came into was as chaotic and messy as you and your family trying to get a family photo. In fact, it was probably more broken, lost, wandering, desperate, hopeless. The conditions of that world at that time were not good. It hasn't changed in a lot of ways. We still have these things going on in our world. And yet, he came into that. Oh, we know that for those of us who know the story a little bit better, we realize that, you know, having donkeys and camels in the birthing room is, is messy and chaotic. And it was a hard journey. And laboring on a donkey instead of in a birthing center, uh, that's a little bit messy and chaotic. But still, beyond even that, our world was a mess. And right in the middle of that, this thing happens, it transforms. And Matthew, as he's writing this, he says these words that I want us to grab onto in chapter one of verse 22. He says, all this took place, the first 21 verses, the genealogy of Jesus, his appearing to certain people, his revealing his plan, he said all of that took place 
to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. Have any of the words or phrases from the story that I think is the most vintage, it's the most timeless, it's this one single word, Emmanuel. God with us. You know, I, I probably, I get God made us. I know in our world, people by the, by the millions are questioning that and denying that. I think it's the most absurd thing not to understand that God made us. Amen. It's obvious, the intelligent design that we all have. I can get God made us. I definitely can get God over us, right? I could grab a hold of that, God over us. Yeah, I get that. I could get even God thinks about us. Definitely God is for us as I read the scriptures. Yeah, I, I get that. It's obvious. But God with us. This is what he wants himself to be called. This is the reality he hopes that we grab onto. What is happening on that night, this night that we celebrate? That's what it is. That's the truth that God is with us. John takes it a step further for us to understand. When he says in John chapter one, he said that the word, Jesus Christ, who is referred to as the word, he became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, he intentionally uses the word flesh, this word sarks. Um, he could have said that the word became a man, which is true, and dwelt among us. He could have said the word became a human and dwelt among us, and that's true. He could have used different words, but he used the word sarks. It's a crude word. It's a, it's a blunt word. It's a, it's a strong word. It's a word that's trying to tell us, listen, you want to understand what happened when Emmanuel came, what happened in that stable in Bethlehem? It's that God himself became exactly like you. He embraced humanity in its totality, true body, soul, spirit, with a will and emotions. The word became flesh. He became Emmanuel, God with us. You see, in that day, and I still believe in this day, it's hard for people to grab a hold of that. That's why people walk away and reject this idea, this virgin birth, this God becoming a man. You see, in that day, the deities were never associated with human beings. They were so far above human beings. You see, because they looked around and they saw the mess they had made and they knew their weaknesses. They knew what humankind was like and they thought the gods could never be anything like this. They would never associate with anything like this. And so their gods were far and distant and removed and way over them. Even the Jewish people, uh, they, they, they honored, revered God so much that um, 
They wouldn't even, like, when they gave him a name, they wouldn't even say it completely. They took the vows out of it. Because he was so sacred, they had this, such this high view that even them, the idea of God becoming man like us was foreign to them. And yet here is Jesus in his story, in his way, his name, his identification is I am Emmanuel. I am God with you. You know, of all the things that this season brings, uh, you know, we start to see it with, with lights, right? The first indication of the, the Christmas season is the appearance of lights everywhere, lights on trees, candles in windows, things lit up, right? Lights, lights, and the emphasis has historically been on light in darkness, that comes from the Christian belief that the world's hope is Jesus, the light of the world. And we see lights that's born in the idea that light has come into the world. Such a powerful thing. No doubt as you've walked into Walmart, or maybe as you've come down to the end of your year, you realize that the season also is, there's a high concern for the needy. We think about the needy. Charitable givings are uh, at the highest they ever are. And people look out and wonder. And, and you know that was born because the son of God, Jesus, was born into a poor family and not a rich family. And the Lord of the universe identified with the least and the most excluded. And we've grabbed a hold of that. And we do that in this season. And those are all powerful things and they carry merit. But I'm telling you the most powerful thing about this season is in this word, Emmanuel. And the reason that we give gifts is because the gift, the greatest gift was given to us that night when God became one of us, for us, to us. You know, the Old Testament, God was honestly a lot of times completely terrifying. He appeared to Abraham as a smoking furnace, to Israel as a pillar of fire, to Job as a hurricane and a tornado. Uh, when Moses asked to see the face of God, he was told, you can't, you can't, you couldn't survive it. The only thing you can see is the back of me a little bit. When Moses saw the back of God, he left that place and went down the mountain and the radiance of God, just a little bit of him, had so shone on, sh uh, you know the word I'm trying to say, on his face that he just, he shined. Is that correct? I'm not sure. He shined for, for days, the radiance and the glory of God. And yet this God who had revealed himself in all that splendor and glory has now chosen to come as a helpless baby in a manger. You know, I would love to have seen what Moses would say. I'm sure he would say, do you realize what this means? This was the very thing I was denied. And yet you get to experience him as this baby in a manger. I love what Max Licato says. The guy has such a way with words and he does far better than I could. So listen, God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys and a spleen. He stretched against the walls of his mother's womb and he floated in her amniotic fluids. God came near. 
He came not as a flash of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cry were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy shepherd. The hands that first held him were unmanicured and calloused and dirty. There was no silk, no ivory, no hype, no party, no hoopla. Were it not for shepherds, there would have been no reception of his coming. Were it not for wise men or stargazers, there would have been no gifts. Angels watched. Angels watched as Mary changed his diaper. The universe watched in wonder as the Almighty learned to walk. Children played in the street with him. No doubt had the synagogue leader in Nazareth have only known who he was speaking to every week, he would have been astonished. Jesus may have had pimples. He may have been tone deaf. Perhaps even a girl down the street had a crush on him. It could have been that his knees were bony. One thing's for sure, he was, while completely divine, completely human. For 33 years, he would feel everything you and I have ever felt. He felt weak, he grew weary, he got colds, he was susceptible to temptation. He burped, he probably even had body odor. His feelings, or his feet got tired, his head ached. And for us, it's so hard to imagine. And so often people will not entertain it. They can't imagine God in this way. It, 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 it seems almost irreverent. Um, it's not something we like to do. It's, it's a little uncomfortable. It's, it's a little easier to keep humanity out of the incarnation. We want to clean the manure from around the manger. We want to wipe the sweat out of his eyes. We want to pretend he never snored, blew his nose, or hit his thumb with a hammer. He's easier to grasp or st stomach that way. But that's not what he wants us to know. And that's not what he wants us to understand. He is asking us to let him be as human as he intended to be. Let him be in the muck and the mire of our world. For only if we let him can he be the one who can pull us out of this world. That's Emmanuel, God with us, becoming one of us. I would remind you that there's some implications to that tonight. Call his name Emmanuel. He's Emmanuel because Emmanuel, he knows us. He accepted the limitations of humanity. He became vulnerable to the natural human weaknesses that accompany our flesh, hunger, thirst, physical weariness, and pain. He experienced the emotional traumas we experience, disappointment, sorrow, hurt, loneliness, rejection. That's what it is when he says, call me Emmanuel. I became one of you because I needed to know you. I wanted to know you. I wanted to identify with you. I wanted you to realize I know exactly where you're at and who you are. Perhaps our world and your life resembles a Bethlehem stable. 
crude in some spots, smelly in others, not much glamour, and not always so neat. But I want you to understand that that's the world he wanted to come into. The God who came in that night is the God who is still coming, wanting to come into our lives. Wherever you're at, whatever you face, no matter how messy or chaotic or maybe broken you are, what this night signifies is God who comes to us. You know, the moment Mary touched God's face is the moment that God made his case. There is no place he will not go. If he's willing to be born in a barnyard, you can expect him to be at work anywhere and everywhere in this world. No place is too common. No person is too hardened. No distance is too far. There is no person that he cannot reach. This is what he wants us to know. This is why he came the way he did. Because Emmanuel, he knows us. But I want you to understand the implication is even farther than that. Because Emmanuel, he loves us. He loves us. You see, we heard John 3.16 read tonight, for God so loved the world. But if you continue to read, John 3.17 says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is why he became Emmanuel. You see, the night he took on our human nature, the son became the first man of a new creation. A new thing has come. A new thing is happening. As the son incarnate, our Lord Jesus in his death, and then in his, in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection, reverses the work of the first Adam. And he begins the work of restoring what is broken and what is messy and is what is chaotic in our world. And he brings hope and love and forgiveness and peace into our world that night he came. That is what Emmanuel means. You see, God with us was the only way. It was the way that he could then connect back to us. And as he comes into our world on that night, he has now created this, this way where he is still coming, incarnating himself into our lives through the power of his Holy Spirit, inviting us to experience this unbelievable vintage truth that you and I can say, God is with me. <laughs> he came with us that night so that he could continue through the power of his Holy Spirit to come into our lives and be in relationship with us. You know, uh, in the book, Deep Down Dark, it was uh, Hector Tobar who told the story of the 33 Chilean miners that were trapped 2,000 2, feet below the surface for 69 days. You guys remember that? That's, uh, that's just happened not too long ago. And uh, Hector wrote this book called Deep Down Dark. 
he tells the story of those men. He said that they had to live in the dark with almost no food, cut off from the rest of the world. They didn't know if they'd ever see daylight again. And he said that many of the miners faced with the, the uh, face to face with imminent death, they begin to take stock of their lives. And they realized in that cave that they had a lot of regrets. And so one of them asked uh, uh, one of the miners, Jose, who was a Christian, everybody knew he was a Christian, if he would pray for them. Hector says that as Jose got down on his knees, some of the other miners joined him 2,000 feet below the earth's surface. And Jose began to pray to God. He said these words. We aren't the best men, Lord, but have pity on us. And then he began to pray more specifically. He began to pray, Victor here, he knows that he drinks too much. And Victor Zamora over here, he, he, he knows that he's too quick to anger. Pedro Cortez, he thinks about how he's been such a poor father to his young daughter. And as he prayed, no one objected. It was the beginning of something incredibly special. In the deep, down, dark, buried under the earth with death staring them in the face, the men got real before God and each other. And every day as they did that, they began to meet. They would eat a little meal. They didn't have much. They would listen to some words that, that would be said and then they would get on their knees and they would start to pray. They would pray things like, God, forgive me for the violence of my voice before my wife and my son. Or God, forgive me for abusing the temple of my body with drugs. They began to confess to one another, I'm sorry I raised my voice. I'm sorry I didn't help you. And they had something incredibly life-changing that was happening. But above the surface, the rescue effort had begun. People from all over the world began trying to help. They gave money. They gave her their resources. They began to pray. And, and it was only a matter of time before the drill that they sunk into the earth reached where they were at. And it cut a narrow hole and they were, begin, they, they were able to begin to get food and supplies. They even got iPads down there while they waited. 21st century world. And they knew they were going to be rescued. And they even began to realize that they were probably going to become famous. And they were going to get rich off this. And you know what happened? The confessing stopped. The praying stopped. The lure of money and fame undid that incredibly deep work that they had when they thought they were facing the end. You see, honestly, they were at their best when life was at its worst. They were in that place, that deep, down dark place where you know you can't make it on your own 
It's that deep down dark place. It's the place when you realize you need God. And they begin to find him. And you see Emmanuel, God with us. He came down to our deep, dark place. This broken, lost, hurting world. And he came so he could start something new. We sang. Hark the herald angels sing. He came so he could provide a way. He became one of us to give himself for us. And then he set it up so that he could come into each one of our lives through the person of his Holy Spirit. You know, things haven't changed a lot in our world. It's still deep down and dark. But he's done something about it. And the vintage Christmas truth for us, this word Emmanuel is this. God came to be with us so that he could come to live in us. That's what Christmas is. It's far more than a 2,000-year-old story and a historical event. It was the catalyst for what he's always wanted. For you and I to say, God is with me. God is in my life. The incarnation of yesterday is to be the incarnation of today. God with us. Let's pray. Father, this is what we need to know. This is why this night is so incredibly special. Lord, you came and the darkest and messiest of situations because that's what you always are gonna do. And Lord, you still come. You started something that night that continues each and every day. This season is something that is not the celebration of a historical event. It's the celebration of a living God who desires to connect with us and save us and live in our lives. And Lord, as you've shown, it doesn't matter how messed up or dark or confusing or doubtful our situations are. That's exactly where you run to. That's where you're at your best. It shows in this story and it's the way that you want to do in our lives. Thank you, Lord. The classic truth of all this is that you came for us you became one of us so that you could live in us. And we praise you in Jesus' name.